Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. We're going to go from a time of worship through song to a time of worship in the Word. And we're going to pick up right where Amy, Pastor Amy left off. Yeah, um, last week. Um, thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, I need you. I need you. Lord, your word's so anointed. My words are faulted. Speak through me. Let me say exactly what you would have me to say. No more, no less. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. We're in Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 12. And let me tell you guys, if you missed last Sunday... You need to go. I, I missed last Sunday, but I watched it on the way home. Like I, I was on. I was. I had a two-hour drive back from where I was uh, preaching at, and and I watched it. I kept getting text messages. Board members were texting like, "We're voting you out and putting Amy in." And and I'm like, "Dude, that would be the smartest financial decision this church has ever made." <laughs> um, but man, it was such a powerful message, and um, I'm not just saying that because. She's my wife. I'm saying that because it was a powerful message on faith. Arguably, and I, I, li- I listen to a lot of pastors preach. It's because I like podcasts and I, I like. I like to listen to preachers. And it was probably one of the best messages I've ever heard on faith. And um, we are blessed here at C1 that we have a great pastoral team, a great um, uh, uh, preaching team, honestly, um, but man, I, I would challenge you, go back and listen to it. I, in fact, I actually have a couple clips from it. And so because, listen, before I show these clips, um, I, I pulled a CNN and I pulled them completely out of context. So I just want to point that out before I throw them up there. These are out of context, but it made me laugh. So let's just go ahead and if you, here's a snippet of... Bring it in. Bring, give me all the babies. I want... I'm like, I'll sign up for that. Uh, let's go to the next one. So we're at Walmart, and I'm, I'm looking for pot plants and, and stuff. At Walmart. You know what's so funny? I sent that to a lot of people, and everyone laughed, but no one questioned the location. They're like, of course, that's what you do at Walmart. You look for pot plants. Like, obviously, she was looking for pots for her plants. But, like, when you pull context out, it, it changes some stuff. You know, where I, I remember listening to it on the way home. I'm like, I don't remember that trip to Walmart. <laughs> like, whoa. No, but I pulled those out of context. She was talking about plant babies, but, you know, she said, bring them in, bring them in, bring me all the babies I want. I'm like, well, I mean, I'm game for more. <laughs> no, but if she gets any more plants, we are going to be probably certified as a rainforest. In our living room. Oh. oh, come on, Ryan. With that said, I don't have any jokes for you. We need to keep humor out of this pulpit. By golly, I'm sick. I'm sick of the church laughing at me. Or with me, I don't know. We are in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 12. We're going to just jump right in. It says, therefore, whenever the Bible says, therefore, here's a reading tip. You have to ask, what is it there for? And so we launch out of a whole chapter about faith and all these people that live by faith. And he launches into chapter 12. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. I'm going to tell you a story real quick. And you guys will probably think I'm crazy. That's all right. Uh, but after my mom passed away, this, this scripture has such meaning to me. Because um, in 2020, there was a really dark time in my life. And my mom was just such a warrior like she knew the Holy Spirit so well. There was such an intimacy. And I just remember being able to call her and just say, Mom, can you pray with me? And she just, she just, she just 
had such intimacy. Like it was almost like she dwelled in the throne of God. It was it was so weird. And I just say, God, Mom, I just need prayer over this. I'm discouraged or whatever. And after she passed away, I felt like I just had this whole covering ripped off of me. I couldn't reach out to my mom anymore the way I, oh, I can't reach out to her anymore at all. I mean, it's just like I can, I, I have about 12 messages she preached to her church, and I listen to them periodically, and they still step on my toes. Um, she's still preaching at me from beyond the grave. But one night, I was laying in bed just crying. Amy was vast asleep. It was like 9 o'clock, so that's practically midnight to her. Um, and I was just laying in bed praying, and, like, it was, you know, the passing thoughts of the Holy Spirit. This went through my head. You want to know what your mom's doing? That went through my head as I'm praying, and I thought, well, yeah. And I'm wide awake. My eyes are open. I'm just looking up at the ceiling and all of a sudden I hear, have you guys ever, like, been close to a roaring stadium? Like, like imagine the Vol Stadium and its two capacity. You know when the Vols beat the, uh, uh, the uh, Alabama, like, once every 20 years? You know how loud the Vols get? Um, like, it's so loud, it probably damages your hearing because everyone's screaming at once. And it was like... The Lord removed this veil that I could hear. I couldn't see anything, but I heard the stadium because I played basketball in a lot of different arenas, and I knew the sound of a crowd that was cheering. It was a crowd cheering, but it was a distance away. I could hear it, but it was the loudest thing I've ever heard in my life. But it was like, say, 10 miles away, but I could hear it so loud. It was like, you know, like, you know when a giant crowd is all screaming at once and all it just, it just hears, you just hear, you know, like, it's just that. It was so loud. And then out of all of it, I heard my mom's voice. It was so crazy. I'm wide awake. And she yelled, go, Ryan, go. God is with you. God is for you. Go, Ryan, go. And then it just it stopped. It just, and I just like, what just happened? Like, it was one of those moments when God, I'm, I have not, like, I sound crazy right now, and I'm okay. I've only told a few people this. But instantly my mind raced to this. To this. The grandstands of heaven are cheering us. They're, they're, they're just, go, go, you got this. God is with you. And it was just, and I, I recognized it, like, in the midst of all my years playing basketball from the time I was fifth. In fifth grade to my senior year of college, I could hear my mom's voice out of every crowd. I don't care how loud. My mom just, she, like, the, I, my first fast break that turned into a dunk, this is what my mom yelled. And I'm going to tell you my nickname, and if you guys make fun of me, I'm okay. But my mom yelled, go, Bubba Zuzu! And I'm, like, 10th grader, like, completely trying to, like, it was dead quiet, and then you just hear my mom's one voice, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. Luckily, the dunk went in, and I redeemed myself. Then, it, But it was just, it was so cool. And that was one of those moments that I felt like the Lord gave me, and then he just sealed it up again. And But I say all that to say there are people cheering for you. They might not be able to see you, but they're cheering the church on. They're, go, Ryan, go. Go, Andy, Go. Go, Chelsea, go. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy waiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people, then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. And you have forgotten, and have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. Oh. 
As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? So when he wrote this, it was 2,000 years ago. That statement made sense. Now we hear of it all the time, and they end up in jail. So, or they don't have dads, they end up in jail. That's the reality. I'm not just saying that. That's, go look it up. You really go in there? I, I'm sorry. I'm moving on. If God doesn't discipline you as he does all his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Since we are respected, since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us, so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But after, afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living. Some translations say a harvest of righteousness for those who are trained in this way. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. That's verse 13. I have a few thoughts for you, and I'm going to get through these really fast. But there is a challenge in this, and it starts off with um, right, out, right out the gate. Verse 1 it starts off with the statement, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to life, this life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. So the first thought I want to give you is don't fill up on lesser things. Don't fill up on lesser things. We are invited, the author of Hebrews is inviting us to cast aside everything that trips us up. And it's not just sin. There's so many things in our life that trip us up and distract us. And so I feel like a way to, to, to really capture what he's trying to say is don't fill up on lesser things. So let's, what are lesser things? Let's define lesser things. Anything that slows us, and keeps us from doing what God has asked of us. God has put a pur purpose and a plan on each of your lives. He has a calling for each of your life. He has a, he has a beautiful um, design for your life. Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10, he said, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to give you life and give it to the full. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, Or I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Ephesians 2, verse 10, it says, You are Christ's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he has destined for you before you were born. He has a plan for you. And what does the enemy do? He throws lesser things in front of you so you fill up on that so we can't fill up on God. God wants us to operate to our full potential for his glory and his kingdom. Jesus said it this way, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. So often we chase all the other things and think we can fit the kingdom of God in too. We can't. If you fill up on all the other things, the kingdom of God will not fit into your life. But first, seek first the kingdom. What's another lesser thing? Sin. Sin. Oh my goodness, like everyone's going to just, oh, we're going to talk about sin in church. That's not what church, churches do anymore. It's just weird. You're going you're gonna to drive the guest away. Oh my gosh, Ryan. Is this guy for real? I was a youth pastor for six years, and I just stepped back into youth ministry. I got to dust it off, okay? So... God hates sin. It's an affront to his holiness. 
We know that. But why? It's, it's, it's an affront to his holiness. And there's another reason why God hates sin. He knows what sin does to us. If we are his children, if my child is doing something that I know will harm her, I hate that thing because I love my children. And the same way, our father, yes, sin is an affront to his holiness. But it's also, he understands that sin kills us. It's so clear. The wages of sin is death. A life of sin will always lead to death. I don't care what the sin is. It will destroy you. It will destroy you emotionally. It will destroy you physically. It will destroy you um, spiritually. It will destroy you financially. I can't tell you how many people that they weren't drug addicts, but they were sinners, and they destroyed their finances because they didn't go after Jesus. Because the wages of sin is death. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's all he wants to do. Like... And so what does the New Testament say about sin? What is, how do we define sin? Because like, oh, I could give you a whole list. Uh, the Bible actually lists out some absolutes. Like this stuff won't enter into the kingdom. And it's in Galatians, it's in Romans, it's, it's throughout the New Testament. But I'm not going to do that. What I'm going to tell you is the word for sin. It's defined by missing the mark. Imagine with me. Sin breaks God's heart because it destroys what God loves. It separates us from our Father that so desperately loves us and wants a relationship with us. So if sin is missing the mark, it would be awful for us to miss what God has for us because we weren't willing to make him Lord of our life. When you think about what God has for you, I've come to give life and give it to the full. All he wants to do is give blessing. Even, does that mean that we're not going to face trials or tribulation? Absolutely not. The end of Romans covers that. Even when we do, we're covered in the love of God. But, but even with that, God makes those trials and tribulations work for our good. God makes all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And God has a purpose for you. But how do we walk in that purpose? Is we make Jesus Lord. We let him call the shots. We let him direct our feet. We, 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 we consult him before we consult friends about decisions that we need to make. And it would be so awful for us to go through life missing the mark, not living this, this life that God only wants to bless because of sin. It so easily trips us up. And why? Because it looks good. Man, this, this last Saturday, man, we were a couple, you know, four or five days into this fast and I've been, um, I've, I've been fasting sugar and carbs and intermittent fasting. And let me tell you, it's not fun being hungry all the time. But I've lost 15 pounds um, in two weeks. So um, next week, I'm going to be a skin and bones. But, but it's been so cool to see this. But I will tell you, like, temptation in my life has been so strong like, I've just been tempted to sin. Like, I'm like, going after Jesus more. I've been designating more time to pray. I've been spending more time in his word. I've been getting up in the middle of the night and seeking the Lord. And then when I get tempted, it's like, oh my gosh, it's so strong. And then there was a moment last Saturday, it was so strong. I'm like, God, I'm about to break. I can't take this. I can't take it. And Lord, I'm coming to you because you're my only hope. You're the only one that could deliver me from temptation. The Bible says no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. It's not a sin to be tempted. Jesus was tempted. It's when we act on the temptation and, and I'm struggling. I'm so struggling. And then I'm praying like, God, I need you. I'm like, I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back to a life of less. And this went through my head. Don't fill up on lesser things. Instantly, I realized everything the enemy offers us is lesser. It was like he dismantled the whole argument of the enemy of why. I'm like, wow, why would I fill up on something 
when I have the Holy Spirit, God Almighty who loves me. Like, what, it, 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 it just rightly identified what really sin is. It's so much less. Sin promises something. It promises a good time for a season. It promises maybe to soothe that depression for a moment. It, it, it promises maybe to help because, like, you know, it's like Satan will almost lie to you. It's like, oh, sin is like comfort food. It just helps mask it doesn't address the issues, though. When Jesus walks into your life, he addresses the issues. Where sin masks, Jesus addresses. He actually unveils. If you want to walk in freedom from sin, you confess your sin. You just take it out in the open. And suddenly, sin has no power over you. When you expose it to the light of God, you confess. The Bible tells us we confess our sins one to another that we can be healed and, and, but the enemy is like, oh, no, this is your comfort. This is like he, he makes it seem so good for a season. And the Bible even says sin will be good for a season, then it will kill you. And I could, I, could, I could tell you this, I know this for a fact, that every one of us experiences this. The same voice that tempts you. you. You get tempted, and you fall into temptation, then suddenly you instantly feel so much regret. And it's like it, this type of stuff. You call yourself a Christian. You call your, you know, all that stuff. Because why? The same voice that tempts you is the same voice that condemns you. So you get, you get tempted, and then he's like, oh, come on, it'll be all right. Just one more time. Just, you know, all this stuff. All those lies in the enemy is lesser things. It's lesser things. It's lesser things. But, but he, he makes it seem like it's the only thing. And then we fall into temptation, and then he turns around and just attacks us. The same voice that tempts you is the same voice that condemns you. But God has a better way. It's him. And the author of Hebrews says, let us. We, we look at all these examples of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And then we say, let us strip off all the weight that slows us down and the sin that so easily trips us up. Let us. He's, it's an invitation. You, you, God doesn't force you to do it, but he's saying, come on. God has so much more for you. He has an a, a amazing life for you. God wants to fill us up on his presence, his spirit. When we fill up on lesser things, it grieves the Holy Spirit. It grieves him because he's all we need. When you realize that Jesus is all you need, man, nothing else will satisfy. When you have Jesus, you don't need anything else. Even Jesus understood this in John chapter 4. He was hungry. He was famished. He was so tired that he couldn't take another step, and he sat by a well with a woman gathering water. And he ends up talking to her and ministering to her, and he sends the disciples ahead to get food, and they bring back food, and they're like, Jesus, we have your food. And Jesus says, I've already eaten, because my food is to do the will of the Father. God, man, let me tell you, man, when you walk in obedience to God, he sustains you. He strengthens you. He empowers you. When you have Jesus, you don't need anything else. Everything else in this life will only medicate for a season what your heart really needs. And it's the presence and the power of God. And nothing else will cleanse you from anything but the blood of Jesus. He cleanses your conscience and he removes completely your sin. And he gives you new hope, new life. You, you are a new person. You are born again. It's only Jesus. Every other religion on this earth is work. It's work. And it, will, and, and it seems good. Religion seems good for a time. And some of us came from denominations that are very religious. And it seems good. Oh, I could do this. I could say this many prayers. I could bow. I could, I could read the Bible so many times. And it seems good for a season. But it will grind your knuckles to the bone. It will work you to death and you will get such a horrible taste for religion that you give up on Jesus. And Jesus isn't about religion. He's about relationship. And he's the only one that can satisfy. He's not interested in how many times you can pray or how much you pray. He's not interested in how many times you said, you know, Hail Marys or, or well, read your Bible. He's not interested in that. He's interested in your heart. He wants a relationship with you. Those things help, but he wants you. There's, 
There's a, uh, there's a move of God happening right now across our nation in college campuses. Lee University, one up in Kentucky called Asbury. I've had a lot of people like, have you heard about the Asbury Revival? And, and it's kind of interesting, talking about lesser things. What, really, what, what happened is a bunch of students got together to pray. And when it got over, they lingered. They decided, I'm not going to fill up on lesser things. I'm not going to go back to my dorm room and play Call of Duty. I'm not going to go back. I'm just going to linger. And what they discovered was God showed up in the lingering, not in the scheduled time. I can tell you, man, whenever I pray, I'll I'll set aside time in here and I'll pray. But I honestly probably don't even feel the presence of God for an hour. I'm not saying that it takes an hour to feel the presence of God. I'm just saying that we've lost the ability to linger. And these students, they just lingered. The Bible says those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. But I think we're already so filled up on lesser things that we're not even hungry. We're not even hungry. They were hungry for God. We see churches having prayer meetings right now in response to this. Praise God. Praise God that the church is praying. That brings me so much joy that different churches are having prayer meetings. Praise God. But it makes me sad that it took a move of God to make us pray. This is what we should already be doing. We can't fill up on lesser things. We got to get rid of this stuff. We want to move a God... What if we lingered in our prayer time? What if we gave up a meal? What if we, we showed up to our prayer meeting? We've been praying first and third Wednesdays for over two years. I always put a shameless plug for prayer meetings. It's the most important meeting that our church has is on the first and third Wednesday every month. And it's the least attended we want to move a God. It doesn't happen in rows. It happens when we seek him, when we're hungry for him, when we fill up on him. What if God whets our appetite for his presence and not the things of the world? And let me tell you, I, I have friends that are like, like, man, maybe we should go there, go up to Asbury. And personally, no, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm not going to go somewhere. Because the same power that's there is in you. The same power. God wants to move through you. God wants to move in you. Like, what if revival looked like? God, send revival in me. Revive me. Bring me back to life. Lord, help me to see what you want me to see. Help me to do what you want me to do. Help me to say what you want me to say. Lesser things grieve the Holy Spirit because lesser things grieve us. He grieves because he doesn't want us to get hurt. And let me tell you, the Holy Spirit won't hurt you. Religion will hurt you. Um, Going through the motions will hurt you. Um, Sin will hurt you. Everything else in life will hurt you, even if it's a good thing. You know, basketball is a good thing, and guess what? It hurt me a lot. I I have so many things that... Through my body, like my knees, like every now and then it clicks. I'm like, I'm 35, and that's a clicking that I heard in an 85-year-old dude. You know, like, that's weird. Um, Other things will hurt you, but the Holy Spirit will never hurt you. Lesser lesser things will let you down. Lesser things will discourage us. Lesser things will lead to regret. Lesser things will eventually lead to death. God has marked for us a path With him leading the way, the author calls it a race. Let us run the race marked out for us. God's already marked that track. He already has it for you. Lesser things distract you from the race that God has for you. But let me tell you, there's an answer. And he tells us right out the gate. How do we shed lesser things? How do we get rid of this stuff? Because it's really hard. The answer is Jesus. Oh, that's such a Sunday school answer, Ryan. 
Well, I'm just going to read it. Let's go to the second thought. Behold God. We've lost the art of beholding God. It's not an art. It's a, it should be our passion to behold God. Well, what is he saying? He, Hebrews 12, 2 through 4. We do this. Like, so what is he saying? He says, um, because we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us strip off everything that holds us back and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run the race that's marked before us. And then he says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Let's just say it together. By keeping our eyes on Jesus. Oh, come on. It's that simple. You want to run the race? Look at Jesus. The champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy waiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he had to endure from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. And that was a real possibility when this was written. Christians were being eaten and killed and all sorts of stuff. But what is he saying? Just look at him. He, the author is literally telling us to throw off lesser things by looking at Jesus. When we look at Jesus, we find we don't have any excuses that work. When you look at Jesus and you look at his grace, his mercy, his majesty, his cross, his resurrection, you look at the empty tomb, you look at Jesus, all of a sudden all the excuses you have for not following him kind of fall by the wayside. Like what excuse do you have? Jesus, a sinless man, died in your place, got beaten for you, got, got nailed to a cross, died naked before everyone, scorning its shame. What excuse do you have? For not running your race. You don't. You don't have an excuse when you look at Jesus. But at the same time, it inspires you. It takes your excuses away and then it suddenly says, come on, I'll show you the way. When you look at Jesus, he's not just, he, he's really good at taking our excuses away because he knows the excuses will keep us from walking in the potential of our call. So he takes them away and then he says, come on, I'll show you how. I'll show you how. Just keep your eyes on me. I'll show you how. Just keep following me and I'll show you how. Just keep looking at me. I'll show you how. When you take a long, hard look at Jesus, you see God, his grace, his mercy, his heart for you. Nothing else will satisfy. The more you look at Jesus, the more you realize there's so many lesser things in this world. Lesser things always leave us wanting more and feeling empty. But Jesus doesn't. He says, I'm living water. All who thirst in me will never thirst again. When we behold Jesus, we discover he's the only one that satisfies. So I'm not going to give you a list of like, well, how do you behold Jesus? But I think there are ingredients to beholding God. And I don't want them to become religious because religious Religion is just, it will bind you up and make you so angry. But there are things that we can do to give our attention to God. So the first thing we do, in my opinion, is set our affections on him. We, we, we consciously decide. And it, that might just say, you know, the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth flows. So we might just need to start saying, Jesus, I love you. Father, I love you. Holy Spirit, I love you. Start declaring that in your life. The Bible also says in Proverbs, life and death are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So when we declare things, they come to pass. So we start declaring, Jesus, I love you. I'm gonna, Lord, help me to give me grace to set my affections on you, that, that you are my focus, that you are my hope. And out, out of that, you know, dude, it's going to enhance your, your marriage. It's going to enhance your parenting. It's, 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 everything flows out of our relationship with Jesus. It makes it better. Another thing, another thing we can do that will help us behold him is testify about what he's done in your life. 
Every one of us has a unique story of how God saved them, changed them, wrecked them, redirected them. And we got to share that. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. You have a testimony. If you're in Christ, you have a testimony. And you don't have to have, you know... Jesus sent out the first missionary. He was a man filled with 5,000 demons, and he was the first missionary recorded in the New Testament. He knew Jesus for 20 minutes. And all he was armed with was a testimony. I was filled with demons, and then Jesus set me free. He can do the same thing for you. It's that simple. We share our testimony. And then another, an, another thing like that, that helps us behold Jesus is read his word. Just read his word. You might not get it. You might not understand it. You might not. That's okay. The word of God cleanses us. It cleanses us. I once heard a, there was this dad that he was, his dad was trying to make a point teaching him how to read the Bible. And he was like, dad, I don't want to read the Bible because I don't remember any of it. I can't, I can't remember it. And, and the dad goes, hey, you see that dirty basket over there? It's just like a weave basket. He's like, can you take it down to the river? And get, bring me back some water in it. And so he would take the basket and he walked down to the river and he would scoop up water. And by the time he got back up to his dad, the, the, all the water was gone. There was no water in it. And he's like, Dad, it's not holding water. He's like, hey, could, could you do it? Try it again. And he kept doing it. He did it like four or five times. And, and he finally told his dad, he's like, what does this have to do with reading the Bible? He's like, why, why are you having me do this? Like, this thing doesn't hold water. I'm never going to get water to you. He said, yeah, but look how clean that basket is now. He said, that's what the word of God does. It cleanses us. It cleans us. We need to spend time in the word. Waiting on him. We wait on him. Like, we, like have you guys ever had a waiter? Yeah, at a restaurant. What does a waiter do? It serves, Right? Waiting on God looks like serving him. We serve him. We wait on him. Like, we don't just serve him, but we serve while we're waiting. Like, God, want my, God might have given you a promise. God might have given you a word. God might have told you something. And you wait. You wait for God. Wait patiently for him. And while you're waiting, you serve. It's a process. Then we pray and fast. Like, these are another things that we could do to behold him. Man, let me tell you about this fast. I'm, gonna, I'm just, I'm just going to tell you about some stuff, man. Fasting helps remove calluses on our ears. It hones our heart to set our gaze on him. When we fast, you're denying yourself physically to indulge yourself spiritually in the presence of God. It helps us see God better. It helps us behold him better. I've been praying I, I've, there's a new prayer, which is, it's like, it's funny, I've never prayed this before, but like probably since about last October, I just, it's just been something that's in my heart and I've, it's been coming out. I wake up praying it, I go to bed praying it, and this is it. Gee, Holy Spirit, make me like Jesus. It's not that I don't like him, that's not what it means, okay? But I want to be like Jesus. Holy Spirit, make me like Jesus. And I mean, what I, what I mean is, in the holistic term, it's, I want to love the Father like Jesus. I want to love people like Jesus. I want to pray like Jesus. I want to see people like Jesus. I want to have compassion like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus holistically. I've been praying that hard because I know who I am without Jesus. Ryan Tatham is a messed up punk. And I need Jesus. I know how lost I was without Jesus. That's why I can't help but raise my hands and worship. Man, I love him and I need to be like him. And, 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 and I've been praying, like, Lord, give me boldness. Uh, uh, this last week I've been praying, like, Lord, give me boldness. Help me to see people. Help me to see people. Help me to see people, Lord. I want you to use me. I want you to use me. I just, like, Lord, create opportunities for me to be used. And I started, I, I've really been asking this, and like one week into this fast, man, I walk through Walmart, I get to pray with like six people. I'm like, all right, Lord, let's go. I mean, I, I call Spectrum. 
to talk about the church's internet to see if we can increase our speed. And, and as I'm talking to this lady, the Lord said, talk to her about her relationship with her dad. I'm like, well, this is about to be an interesting conversation. <laughs> She's never had this happen. I said, man, before I get off the phone with you, I really feel like I need to pray with you about your father. And she started crying. And she's like, I said, I don't know what's going on there, but I know God can restore it. And she goes, me and my dad are estranged. I'm like, oh, well, God can, God can restore. He's a redeemer. And I got to pray with her. Let me tell you, man, the Holy Spirit's never wrong. He's never wrong. And it just takes willing to be, man, it just, dude, she'll never talk to me again. I've never talked to the same person twice when I've called Spectrum. Who cares if she thinks I'm a fool? Who cares if she thinks I'm crazy? Man, we want God to use us, but we're not willing to look crazy for him. We want God to use us, and we're like, oh, I want to step out in faith, but then we're not willing to. Faith looks crazy until it happens. Man, and I shared this testimony on Facebook. I'm going to say it again because I'm just going to say it again. Um, I'm preaching, and you're not, so... The other day, I, I was walking out of the gym, and um, I was holding the door open for the UPS guy, and I looked over, and I saw this um, older lady, and I locked eyes with her, didn't think anything of it. We smiled at each other, started walking back to my car, and about halfway back to my car, this random thought went through my head. She has chronic neck pain. So I stopped. I said, Lord... What do you want me to do with this? Because it's real easy to pass off random thoughts, real easy. And when we're not beholding God, they even they go through our head even faster. When we're not even trying to tune, like he's always speaking to us, but like, I'm like, oh, that's weird. Like, why would I think that? You know, like most of the time, we're like, well, what? that's such a crazy thought. That's what we do. We just kind of brush it off and we keep going. Well, that was crazy. And then we get in our vehicle and drive off. And I stopped. I said, Lord, what do you want to do? And this, this random thought went through my head. What if I want to heal her? He didn't say he was. I just, what if he did? I'm like, well, that's enough for me to turn around. So I walked back in there, and I walked up to her. And I'm a big dude, man. I'm a 6'2", um, 225. And I could be intimidating. So I walked up. I said, ma'am, you don't know me. I don't know you. But can I pray with you? She said, well, Absolutely. And then I said, what I'm about to tell you is going to sound really crazy. And if you don't want to talk to me after this, I understand. Because I wouldn't either. <laughs> but this thought went through my head. You have chronic neck pain. And God wants to heal you. And she goes, oh my gosh, yes, it hurts all the time. It's killing me right now. I'm like, well, let's pray. And we prayed. I got to pray for her and her son. She's like, can we pray for my son? I'm like, absolutely. No, actually, I said, no, absolutely not. I'm joking. So absolutely, let's pray. We prayed for her and her son, and uh, her neck didn't get better. And she's like, well, I, I believe that uh, God told you. And I'm like, yeah, I believe that too. I said, listen, Jesus had to heal, pray for a blind guy twice, and he's the son of God. I'm just some dude. So we're going to pray again. <laughs> and we prayed again. And she looked up. She goes, oh, my neck doesn't hurt. She's moving it all around. I'm like, praise God. And then she stopped. She said, Ryan, can you, can you pray that I lay down these two things I'm addicted to? And I'm like, absolutely. And it's so funny because so often, like, why don't you, you know, like, you don't have to beat people over the head with sin. The Holy Spirit's so much better about convicting people of sin. I didn't have to say anything. You know, the only thing I told her is that God loves her and wants to heal her. And she experienced the power of God that healed her neck. And then suddenly, she's like, I need to confess sin. I need a relationship with Jesus. And so I asked her, what do you know about Jesus? And she goes, well, I believe that he died on the cross. I believe that he rose again. I believe that he's the son of God. I'm like, well, by golly, that's like 98% of it. Like, you just got to make him Lord of your life, and he can help you be free. That's what he does. He sets people free from things that so easily entangle us. 
And she gave her heart to Jesus. And I say all that to say, I don't know, I don't, I don't know if that would have happened if I wasn't intentionally going out of my way throughout the week to behold the Father. It's a decision, day in and day out, God, I want you. I'm going to pick up my cross today. I'm going to behold your glory. I'm going to behold who you are. And I'm going to celebrate you. We don't fill up on lesser things. we got to behold the Lord. That's how we get rid of lesser things. We behold God. And the last thing I want to leave you with, and we're, we're going to wrap up here, is God rewards all growth with pruning. Hmm. That doesn't sound fun. That doesn't sound good at all, actually. Why would you say that, Ryan? Well, couldn't you just say God wants to bless you abundantly and just leave it at that? Well, let's just read for a second. God, does, God isn't in the business of making you more like you or anyone else. He's in the business of making you like Jesus. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 12 real quick, 10 through 13 says, for our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few, year, few years doing the best they knew how, but God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained by its way. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall and become, but become strong. We read this and it says, if, uh, that's just a small section, but the whole section is God disciplines those he loves. If he's disciplining you, it's because you're his child. And I could tell you because I love my children. The other day I had to spank Sky, and um, she goes, Daddy, give me grace. <laughs> please give me grace and I said sis me spanking you is grace because I don't want you to grow up and be an imbecile or a democrat either one oh come on you can't I'm sorry I, I shouldn't have said that did he just say that from the pool I'm telling you man they're going to have to hire Amy stop it Ryan But some of us actually have a really bad taste for the word discipline in our mouth because we didn't have good parents growing up. Maybe we had people in authority over us that they actually punished us and they abused us and they called it discipline. And if that's you, man, I'm telling you, God's, God's discipline is not like that. Discipline, true discipline is always rooted out of love and well-being for the person. But if that's you, I want to give new context around it to maybe help us understand what God's discipline truly looks like because I don't, I don't want people to walk out of here because honestly, a lot of people in their walk with Jesus, they're okay with Jesus, but they have a hard time with the Father. And all Jesus' whole mission on earth wasn't to have a relationship with us. His whole mission was actually for us to have a relationship with the Father. He reconciles us to the Father for God so loved the world, he sent his son. Now, does Jesus love you? Absolutely. Does he care for you? Absolutely. But the reality is the whole point is to have a relationship with God the Father. And But sometimes we get a bad taste and we have a father wound in our heart. And like we didn't have good fathers or we had no fathers. And so when we hear like God disciplines those he loves, it's just like it almost makes you cringe. So I want to read you what Jesus says in John 15. And it might give context to what God's discipline truly means. It says, John 15, 1 through 4, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be, be even more fruitful. You are already clean because my word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will also remain in you. 
No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Notice that he says the father is the gardener. He cuts off branches that bear no fruit. So let's talk about this because that seems really harsh. Jesus says in Hebrews, he says, you know, like, if God doesn't discipline you, you're illegitimate. That means, like, you actually aren't actually in Christ. And here we see that if you're not bearing fruit but you claim to be in Christ, that means there is no root of Christ in you. I once heard it said, where there's no fruit, there's no root. So what fruit is he talking about? I think it's twofold. The first fold is this, the fruit of the Spirit. Found in Galatians chapter 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If there is no evidence of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in you, and you're claiming to be a Christian, God will cut you off because you're not bearing fruit. And the second part is when you, when you are bearing the fruit of the Spirit, you will bear fruit of souls. Like your life will naturally just, you'll start telling people about Jesus. You'll just reflect Jesus and it will it, it, just happen. But the fruit of the Spirit is what the Holy Spirit, the Bible says God produces this type of fruit in us. That's what, that's what Galatians chapter 5 says. God, the Holy Spirit produces this. The natural overflow of relationship with Jesus is the fruit of the Spirit. So when there's no fruit in your life, there's no root of Christ. So naturally, God is going to cut you. He's going to like, well, I'm going to, ex- really, the, the, a better way of putting it is he's going to expose you for the truth. He's going to show you that you were never in Christ to begin with. But the cool thing is, is say you're really bearing gentleness, but you're really lacking on um, self-control. So what God might do is he might trim over here to make self-control evident in your life. And so maybe you're really, um, you have joy in your heart, but you're, you're not very kind to people. And so the Lord will start snipping over here. He'll prune you to make joy flow out. And what does that look like really? Because, like, you know, like, I pray, like, Lord, help me to have self-control. God doesn't just go, abracadabra, boom, you have self-control. I wish that was the case. That would be awesome, but he's not a genie. How he prunes us, how he disciplines us is he takes and he says, okay, I see that this person has gentleness. I see the, the fruit is starting to emerge. He can see that in our heart. But what he does to help us is he gives us opportunities to have self-control. So like, Lord, help me have patience. Well, here's an opportunity for you to have patience, and then he'll cultivate that in you. Lord, help me to love people. Help me to have love for people. Then suddenly he's going to put people in your life that just drive you crazy, that you just want to like pull their hair out while you're pulling your hair out, while you're chewing on your own nails. Those type of people. And he's like, well, here's an opportunity for you to love. But that's how God cultivates us. That's how he prunes. And that's how he disciplines. It's, it's not so we can look good. It's so we can bear more fruit. Like, Because when he puts difficult people, maybe you are really good at loving people. And God's like, I want them to be even more loving. So he puts the, very, the one type of person in your life that just drives you crazy. He'll, put the, he'll, he'll do that so he, you'll bear more fruit. Because it's not about us or you. It's all about him. It's about his glory. It's about his kingdom. It's about how we can represent him on earth. God wants to work through you and on you to make you like Jesus. And so as you're doing good, don't be surprised when God steps in and starts pruning. When you're like, God, what, what, what the heck? I'm serving you. I love you, Jesus. Like, I'm, I'm, we're, why, why are you cutting this out? He's like, well, it's lesser things, and it's keeping you from developing more fruit. And it's just discipline, because he loves you. He's like, 
you know, like he's like, Ryan, you can, I, I want you to do so much more for me than you could ever imagine. So that means there are things that you have to cut out of your life. Oh, that doesn't sound very good. I remember different seasons, man. Like I remember one time, like I'm a movie buff and I love movies. Like I love movies. I even took a class in college about movies. And so there is this app called IMDB, International Movie Database. And the cool thing about this app, it, it has all the latest trailers. And I love Marvel movies. Oh, the, the first sets, the later ones suck. But um, let's just be real. Um, I, I, I just, I love war movies and I, I like watching trailers. I get excited for this stuff. And the Lord said, delete that off your phone. I'm like, well, why? It's just like, it's just movies. It's not even sinful. He's like, but that's the first thing you get on in the morning. Like, you don't open your word. You don't even pray. You go watch trailers for movies. Lesser things. Like, gosh, that stinks. <laughs> like, I wrestled with it for like six months. I'm like, that wasn't God. And like, I started noticing my, my relationship with God was hurting. Finally, I just deleted it. Quite frankly, I felt freedom. That was like seven years ago, and I never put it back on my phone. Lesser things. God prunes us. He rewards all growth with pruning so we can bear more fruit for his glory. But all this, all everything we talked about today, everything we talked about today circles back to humility. Because until we humble ourselves before the Lord and recognize the lesser things in our life, until we recognize and we say, God, you're right, this is lesser. This is junk, and I don't need it. Until we humble ourselves and recognize our need to behold God, to say, God, I need you. I need you more than anything. Until we humble ourselves and say, God, prune me. You know, it's, it stinks. No discipline is pleasant while you're going through it. But it takes humility to say, God, I need you to prune me because I want to be like Jesus. I need you to discipline me because I want to be like Jesus. I don't want to be like me. I want to be like you, Jesus. Until we humble ourselves, until we recognize our need for God, he can't do anything. God will never force us. He's so gentle with us. The enemy forces. I've seen people contort and twist and vomit from demon possession. The Holy Spirit never does that. He's gentle. He nudges. He says, I love you. Come on. Come on. Come on. But it takes humility. We can sit here in pride and say, no, I'm good. I'm good. We can walk out of these doors the same way we walked in and just keep talking about the Asbury revival. Like, oh, that praise God. Oh, man, I can't wait for a revival to hit us. Or we can humble ourselves and say, God, revive me. Let me kill the lesser things. Let me behold you again. Give me grace. And prune me, God. Let me be a revival to my nation. Let me be a revival to, 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 my, to my workplace, my family. To, let me be a revival, God. Use me. It's, a, it's crazy what it'll do. This is, what, this is how I want to end. I, I, I prayed about this last night. I I, 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 got, I got down and I laid on the floor for an hour and I prayed to God, how do you want me to end this? Like, quite frankly, I don't know how to end it. And I kept praying, I kept praying. I got up to write something. He said, no, not yet. So I went and laid back down. I kept waking Amy up. She got mad at me. Um, but and then I get up to write something. He said, no, not yet. And I lay back down and finally he said, I want you to lead them in a prayer. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I'm not, I'm not big on corporate prayers because really at the end of the day, this is just words on a screen. It matters what's in our heart, okay? So I can lead you in a prayer and you just say it out loud and you don't mean it, it doesn't do anything. 
But if, if, we, lead, if, we, if we say this, de- declare it together, I prayed and prayed, I felt like this is what the Lord told me to do, and we do it, it will change us. And then what we're going to do after we do this, I'm going to open up the front. We're going to worship, we're going to sing, and then if you need prayer, we'll be up here. If you just want to praise and worship, we'll be up. Go for it. So let's stand. It's always easier to respond when we're standing. It's like the just taking away the first step. And let's let's throw this up here. And we're gonna read it together. Father. Oh, let's do, let's do it together. Father, forgive me of filling up on lesser things, both sinful and not. Give me grace to throw off everything that hinders me and the sin that so easily trips me up. Help me to behold you in all of your majesty, grace, mercy, holiness, and thank you for making a way for me to overcome through Jesus. Father, Help me to humble myself to receive discipline and pruning that I might be more like Jesus and less like me. I pray this for your glory in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.